SAP HANA has an advantage in speed because of the way the database has been structured, the way they built it, and has a particular advantage outside of being for international companies, companies that are doing very heavy transaction quantity and very and, and heavy depth of transactions where it'll do a bit better of speed in the cloud. And I've noticed that with the other enterprise products too, or the pure cloud products. You can be surprised that this is a Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. While many of you might think that SAP may have lost its momentum because of the newer cloud players, it is still the undisputed market leader and has the largest market share among all ERP companies. SAP's primary market has always been among large global enterprises, primarily because of its strength as the global financial solution. SAP also had one of the deepest enterprise-grade industry functionality in the on-prem model, which has been harder to replicate in the cloud world. This is probably the reason the companies that have an edge in the cloud, such as Oracle, Microsoft, or Infor, have been winning over SAP. But that has changed in the recent quarters with the new leadership focusing on the industry cloud and utilizing partner ecosystem to complement the industry functionality, which will take forever for SAP to build. But is this model sustainable? Also, would customers choose slightly more complete solutions such as Oracle or Microsoft than relying on risky partner-owned code and add-ons? Or would they use SAP as the financial solution while using Infor, Apicor, or Plax in the two-tier model as they had always done? In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn to discuss major stories in the ERP and digital transformation space and an objective and independent review of SAP's capabilities. We covered several grounds, including their positioning in specific micro-verticals and their deeper capabilities than other ERP software. Finally, we discussed their unique value prop, product psychology, industry cloud, rise with SAP, and their integration and growth challenges. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. For today, we have a very exciting vendor. It's called SAP, which is going to be one of the largest. We are going to have a lot of fun in analyzing that. Just to set the expectations, for today, we are only going to be covering the corporate strategy, the overarching view of the SAP. We are not going to dig deeper into any specific products. We are going to be covering all of these products uh, in the future. The way we conduct our analysis is going to be threefold. Number one perspective that we take is going to be financial. If the financial information is going to be available for these vendors. The second perspective that we take is going to be marketing. If they have done any sort of press releases, we go back in the history and we try to analyze if they have been consistent uh, with their marketing positioning. The third perspective is always going to be user reviews for a specific vendor. So we are going to be analyzing that. 
Uh, we are going to start with everybody's intro. We have a very exciting panel here. I am going to start with my intro. I am Sam Gupta, and I am principal at Elevate IQ. I have roughly 20 years in leading large uh, ERP and uh, digital transformation engagement as part of Elevate IQ. Uh, we are independent ERP and digital transformation firm. And uh, what we do as part of Elevate IQ is we help our clients in getting the maximum value with their existing systems. Uh, we also help with the system procurement, only the business system, and then finally the ERP implementations. On that note, I am going to move to Phil for Phil's intro. Hi, everybody. Hi, Sam. I'm Phil Kerper, Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. After several decades as CEO and president in a variety of mid-market companies doing digital transformation strategy, um, I stood up uh, Ringling Business Solutions to help executive leadership teams align their digital strategy with their business. And wonderful to be here today, Sam. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here, Phil. Dave, I can I move to you next for your intro? Sure. Thanks, Sam. Hey, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business working with manufacturers to help them create the systems needed to reclaim their life and grow their business. And I come to you today with more than 20 years in manufacturing operations. Thanks for having me, Sam. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Andy, can I move to you next for your intro, if you don't mind? Absolutely, Sam. Uh, my name is Andy Pratico. I've been involved with ERP software for manufacturers for most of my career, about 40 years. And uh, I worked with companies and manufacturers all over North America. I think about two thirds of the U.S. states, eight tenths of the Canadian provinces. So done a lot of traveling. And I uh, really appreciate uh, being part of this uh, esteemed panel today. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Andrew. Angela, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thank you, Sam. My name is Angela Thurman. I own a woman-owned business in Houston that uh, is called Thurman Co. We offer um, project management and consulting services for small to medium-sized manufacturers um, that don't have those uh, resources in-house. Right. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Angela. So now we are going to start with today's story. But before we do that, people who are joining in the audience, if you have any questions or comments related to the session, keep them coming. We will be covering the relevant comments during the session, and we will be responding to you if there are going to be any questions that might not be related to the session in uh, the, the post-session, we'll be, be responding to you. Uh, so make sure you guys are making the comments as well as questions in the comments. Our panelists are going to be watching those. Now, for today's story, we don't have a ton of uh, stories going on uh, for today. Uh, the very first story is coming from our friends at Apicor. And as we all know, Apicor has been on the buying spree for some time. They have been acquiring companies left and right. And today, they have acquired a WMS system, which is uh, typically unlikely in the ELP community because WMS and ERP has clear set of boundaries, but nowadays, uh, you know, even, even ERP companies are acquiring uh, a lot of WMS capabilities. And in this particular case, Epicor has acquired a company called GMO Business Systems Limited, and they are looking for the enterprise mobility solutions and related services for automotive aftermarket and original equipment parts 
distributors. As you guys know, as we have seen in case of Epicor, Epicor does have a lot of offerings for the automotive market, especially for those aftermarket distributors. So now their goal is going to be to provide the WMS capabilities as well, which is fairly unique in that specific market. If you actually bought a vanilla WMS, that might not work for the businesses like this. And that's why Epicor is going very, very, very deep in these capabilities for this specific market. So here they are saying GMO acquisition extends Epicor's industry-leading portfolio of business growth solutions to virtually every functional area of the automotive parts and service industry. Epicor offers an array of uh, solutions and services for replacement parts manufacturers, program groups, distributors, retailers, jobbers, OE dealership groups, and many types of vehicle repair businesses. Again, these are very small shops from the vehicle perspective. Not a lot of companies can really compete in that space. You are going to have a lot of mom and pop solutions. So uh, Epicor is definitely going very deep there. Uh, they also have the fleet maintenance shops, tire dealership. Uh, again, these are very, very, very small shops, oil and lube uh, businesses, and independent repair facilities. Again, this is not the aerospace market. This is the automotive market. The aerospace market, the independent repair facilities are going to be very different. Operationally, automotive market is very different. Now, here they have very clearly specified that, you know, the GMO product was the gold standard in WMS technology for parts business. Okay, they are being very, very, very clear there, whether they are, uh, you know, serving the aftermarket or OE service channel. And this acquisition is a perfect fit for our automotive solution set for customers who depend on Apicor to help drive growth. Here they are saying the product we have noticed in case of Apicor when we did the session with them, Apicor had Vision, Apicor had Eagle, Apicor Ultimate Platforms. They were targeted to the automotive industry. As you know, they had the catalog, they had the marketplace. So there were a lot of things that automotive market needed. And now they have got WMS which is going to be very exciting for Apicor community. If you guys don't have any comments, I can take those. Or yeah, I've got a quick comment. You know, I find it interesting. Obviously, Epicor is filling a, a space that they felt was missing in their product offering, and that's a great strategy. But the flip side, in which always confuses me, how long will it be before a product like this would be seamlessly integrated into their own tools? Whenever you have multiple systems trying to do that, something always falls out, you know? Any thoughts on that regarding that, Sam? Yeah, so honestly speaking, we don't really have details or the product roadmap for the integration, so it's going to be really hard to comment on that. Obviously, Epicor is going to try to integrate this in their automotive portfolio. That's going to be their strategy. Otherwise, obviously, they'll not be able to sell. Their goal is going to be to sell, uh, you know, as much ERP or as much complete solution so that they can compete with vendors like Acumatica. As we have seen, Acumatica has far deeper capabilities. From the WMS perspective, now Acumatica could very well work for these businesses. So what is Apicor going to do? <laughs> Apicor has to get those WMS capabilities. So that probably could be the driver, uh, you know, to get that. One, one more quick uh, comment. And you're right about all the mom and pops down, especially in the dealerships and the independent repair facilities. But that area, that market space is getting a lot of M&A action from private equity. There's a lot of consolidation and there's a lot of preparing for the evolution of the automobile to electric automobiles, which which is a 
complete game changer for what those types of guys will be doing. So if, if Epicor can combine this, as Andy said, and get it integrated, those are going to be larger purchase options with multiple stores as the future model, that is from what I saw from being in that little bit. But keep in mind, guys, I think we need to look at Epicor slightly closely. I don't know if they really compete in that OEM space. The OEM space has very different operational flow. So let's say if you talk about the electrical vehicle uh, you know, space in that, also you have the dealers and then you have the actual OEM. The OEM is going to have very complex workflow overall from how their warranties are structured, how their uh, you know warranties are going to be structured with the field service, who is going to be doing the, the servicing. Sometimes it could be all over the place. Sometimes warranty could be all over the place. So I don't know if Epicor likes to really compete in that OEM space. They are going after the dealers and distributors and the repair facilities, which is slightly simpler business model in, in my mind. Any comments? Any other comments, guys? Okay, I will move to the next story. Okay, so the next story is coming from our friends at NextWorld. And I know that we have not covered the CRP. I don't know if you are familiar with NextWorld or not. This is a slightly newer player in the market. We are going to be covering this in the future sessions. But what the, the way NextWorld is positioned in the market, they are trying to ride this wave of no-code, low-code. So they are trying to position themselves as sort of the platform as opposed to the core ERP. And that is the strategy that a lot of other vendors follow. For example, if you look at companies like Odoo, they like to position themselves as technical platform and they score very well with developers. But typically in the ERP community, in my experience, that doesn't work very well. So NextWorld is actually taking the similar approach. They are not going to be as functionally rich. They are going to be asking their customers to do the, the functional heavy lifting but now, I don't know whether they are winning a lot of deals in the market. We have not seen uh, competing, uh, you know, getting them in articles, to be honest. So we don't know how penetrated they are, but they seem to be getting now the functional capabilities. And today they have acquired that they are getting one solution for the inventory where they have acquired the cloud inventory, formerly known as Data Systems International Incorporation. And cloud inventories products augment NextWorld's suite of solutions, leading to a richer offering for companies in both service-centric and product-centric industries. And again, I think that's going to be more service-centric because product-centric companies are going to have far deeper inventory requirements. And I don't know if DSI can really cover the product-centric industry. So that's pretty much for the story. This is an exciting development for Next. Uh, if Do you, you have, have any, any idea what the technology platform this tool uses, Sam? No, I think, you know, we need to review that. And that's what we'll be covering in the future sessions. So far, we don't know uh, what they use. But, you know, I have looked at the screenshot. It's it's pretty, it's elegant. The development is really elegant. Okay. Any other questions, guys? If not, I am going to brief you guys on today's session, which is SAP. So number one thing that we are going to do is we are going to be covering SAP from the corporate strategy perspective. We are going to cover how SAP likes to think as far as their product strategy and corporate strategy goes and how that translates into how their products are developed and what that means for the customers when they are going to be buying any of the SAP products. So number one, as you know, SAP is you know one of the top two players in the market. They have one of the largest market share and still in the market, and the primary reason why they have the largest market share is because they win in the enterprise space. And when I say enterprise, these are large 
Fortune 100, Fortune 50 companies, they don't have very many options in the market. There are going to be only a couple of handful options. Uh, if you go for truly global company that is going to be present in a lot of different countries, your only option could be SAP or Oracle. Now, Microsoft is actually competing a lot in that space, uh, but it's very, very, very hard to compete in that space because nobody in the market covers as many countries as SAP does. Now, uh, if you look at the overall psychology of how company has evolved, as we all know, SAP is an European company. Uh, and Europe, uh, as the geography, has different challenges than the other geography. For example, if you look at U.S., any of the U.S.-based businesses, they are probably going to have a Canadian entity. That's the stretch of most of the North American businesses. Or if you look at the Canadian businesses, they are probably going to have U.S. and maybe Mexico. Uh, that's probably the stretch. But if you look at the European market, the majority of the businesses are going to be present in five different countries. They are going to require five different taxations. They are going to require, uh, you know, five different languages. So Europe in general is a very complex geography from the product perspective. And that's the reason why companies like SAP and Sage are going to be far global uh, overall from the product footprint perspective. That's their psychology, how they like to develop. SAP to date, if you compare their on-prem and cloud footprint, they are going to be one of the most global products. Right now, if you compare the cloud product, I think Oracle is slightly ahead, uh, you know, and we are going to review the Gartner's uh, cloud comparison overall in terms of the globalization of the product itself. And Oracle and Microsoft uh, are getting ahead. But in the on-prem world, uh, nobody really could compete with SAP. The only company that could compete with SAP was Oracle. Again, I am being crystal clear. That is the enterprise space. That, that is the Fortune 100, Fortune 500 space. Public companies that need to comply with the regulations. The other thing SAP likes to do is they take very CFO-oriented perspective. It's a very financial product. And that's why CFOs that have implemented a lot of different ERPs, they are going to love the SAP, especially if you are going to be a public company, because for a public company, you are going to have far deeper financial control than any other you know, companies, such as private companies. They are going to have far stringent requirements. So SAP takes that perspective. Now, even if you look at their smaller products, for example, if you look at SAP V1 or by design, your assumption is going to be, since you are talking to SAP, those products are probably going to be richer operationally, but you are going to be probably shocked. For example, let's say if you are comparing this product for the mid-market manufacturing. Now, for mid-market manufacturing, let's say the company has one or two entities. If you are going to simply compare the functionality operationally, some of the other products, such as smaller products, such as Acumatica Netsuite, uh, Info Cloud Suite Industrials, Apicore, they might be richer operationally, but if you look at the global footprint of the product, global footprint of the, the design of the product. That's where SAP really shines. And that's probably the reason why SAP was used more in the two-tier scenario before, where SAP would be used at the corporate level and uh, you know for the financial and operationally at the plant level, they would use something like uh, you know Apicor, they would use Infor, they would use Acumatica or NetSuite. SAP, in fact, likes to position their own products, for example, by design and V1 in the two-tier scenario as well. Uh, and they are going to be operationally slightly richer than your bigger solutions such as SAP S4. What else do we like to cover as part of our briefing that I may have missed? Angela, Phil, 
Dave, Andy. No, I think I think you hit it, Sam. There's a there's a couple slides kind of coming up here that I think comes back to this kind of how all these product strategies fit together. So I'll, I'll save for those slides and, and add a few comments. Okay, amazing. Uh, anything uh, to add, Dave, Andy, Angela? No, I think you've uh, really covered it, Sam. Thanks. Okay, so here, quick overview. And again, we are looking at the financial perspective here. Uh, as we know, a lot of people might think that, you know what, SAP has lost its charm. A lot of people think, uh, you know, especially when we are looking at the cloud numbers for uh, Oracle or Microsoft. Uh, but SAP has been growing a lot. SAP has done really well uh, in the recent quarters. In fact, if uh, you look at their cloud numbers, they are claiming that they have roughly 200 million plus. And the reason why their number of customers are probably going to be lower than some of the other vendors in the market, because the average size of their customer is going to be far bigger than, than any other companies. So even if they get five accounts, I mean, that's a big deal, because then they are going to be rolling out this for the entire company. And the project is going to be probably 10 years long. That's how long the SAP rollouts are. So here, obviously, they have a lot of employees, fairly global company, you know, decent in terms of revenue. If you guys have any comment, I can take those. But this is the snapshot from the SAP corporate perspective. If we look at the growth of the cloud, this is the IFRS representation. And Phil, if you have any observation, obviously, I'm going to count on you for this because you are far, far more financially savvy than I am <laughs> in reading the balance sheets. So here they are talking about the cloud growth and they have done, uh, they have mentioned that, you know, from the IFRS perspective, they have been growing roughly 34% in my opinion. I think that's a significant growth. And now if you actually look at the US gap or non-IFRS, I think they are saying that that's roughly 48% that we are going to see in the next slide. When we looked at Oracle uh, numbers, I believe that was roughly 60% or 64%. So SAP is not very far behind, I would say. But a lot of people think that, you know, their cloud footprint is not growing as much as much as uh, Oracle. But obviously, you know, Oracle and Microsoft, they are slightly ahead in the cloud game. And that's why they are taking away a lot of customers from SAP, especially in the cloud space. Uh, other than that, I don't really have any other observations here. Uh, you know, some of the, for example, software licenses is uh, reducing. Uh, which is which is probably understandable because you know they are growing their cloud, cloud footprint. So obviously the software revenue is gonna come down. Software support is coming down again because of the the cloud revenue model, which is financially very different than your uh, than your on-prem model. A couple quick comments on this one, Sam, and that thirty-four percent, and in the later slides, those higher percent growth rates uh, of their S four Hana cloud is is amazing their focus, obviously, when you look at the other things, but it's still, you know, 48, 485,000 euros. And it's not, uh, I'm sorry, 485 million euros. It's still not huge part of their business. There's still a lot that's in the cloud or even in their software license business. And you can see that transition of the software license and support business going down. But look at the software support number. It's still a huge number for SAP. And the other thing I'll say is their operating expenses, I, if I recall what we saw in the other large companies that published publicly, those, those are high numbers. They, their, their operating margin is, is a little skinnier than other companies. So they're, they're carrying a lot of operating overhead. Yeah, I completely agree with what you said. The only thing I would add there is going to be the cloud number. Obviously, the SAP installations are going to be one of the hardest to migrate, in my opinion. 
because of the, the undertaking that is involved in uh, bringing these workloads to cloud. So in my opinion, I think that translation is going to be slightly slower. But when we look at the Oracle's number, Oracle is growing slightly faster. I think they might be winning a lot in the mid-market, not really replacing these large workloads. I don't know if SAP is really winning a lot of net new customers. Uh, you know, they must be replacing their own customers. So obviously that is, going to be, that is the only comment that I'm going to make. But I don't think a lot of these businesses are going to move from SAP because there is a lot involved when you are going to change the vendors. Any other comments, guys? So these are the, uh, you know, non-IFRS numbers that we were talking about. And as you can see, the growth rate here is going to be higher just because the way I believe the revenue is recognized in case of your non-IFRS, that's why the growth is going to be higher. But Oracle being an American company, the reason why we saw 63, 64% there in their case could be because they must be doing this in non-IFRS. And that's probably the reason why SAP is publishing non-IFRS number as well, so that they are comparable. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you have any other comments, I can take those. Otherwise, I'm actually going to move to the next slide. Uh, here, uh, you know, some more comments overall. Obviously, they are going to do really well in Germany uh, because that's, uh, the, that's the place where they started. Uh, they are still headquartered in Germany. Uh, you know, uh, even if you look at the rest of the EMEA market, they have really large footprint. In fact, the EMEA and Americas are going to be fairly comparable, which is, uh, you know, again, they've been a lot in the Europe, them being European company, but they obviously win a lot in the American market as well. The cloud revenue, if you look at the cloud revenue as well, it seems that uh, in the Americas region, the cloud is growing faster compared to what they had, the on-prem footprint, which is similar to what we saw in case of Oracle as well. Uh, the cloud footprint in the American market is, is higher for most companies, which is same for SAP as well. Uh, my interpretation from this is going to be maybe American customers are going to be slightly more receptive to moving their workloads to cloud than the other customers. That could be the reason why it's going higher in America. That's Those are the observations that I have from this slide. Do you guys have anything else? Dave, Phil, Angela, Andy? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that's right, Sam. So if we look at the uh, Europe area, million two to million five, America's actually relatively static on this. I think you're upside down on on that, as far as where that growth is coming from by cloud revenue. But but even apart from that, the 2000 and 2021 is COVID years. So I'd also be a little hesitant to say how much of this might have just been some natural pause in everybody's business for that period. So that's a very interesting point. I think what I was looking for is the total market share of the total revenue with the cloud revenue. So if you look at the comparison of that, EMEA is not growing as fast, but you're right. If you look at year over year, you know, America uh, is not growing as fast. You, you're right. Any other comments, guys? So there are some interesting observations. And one of the things that we did not cover as part of our briefing uh, overall from the SAP's strategy perspective, obviously, SAP had acquired a lot of different products from the market just to complement their existing products. One of the uh, product psychology or the corporate psychology that SAP likes to perform is they are really the product developer of the ERP solutions. And that's why their ERP systems, if you actually look at that, uh, you know, they are going to be far more organized. It's going to look very consistent overall from the product experience perspective, just because everything is, is done by SAP compared to some of the other vendors where they are acquiring bits and pieces from many different vendors. But SAP has acquired a lot of different capabilities, especially in the S4 HANA portfolio, which is their uh, you know flagship product, 
and they had acquired you know travel and expense solutions such as Kankar. they had acquired success factors which is the acm solution but one of the challenges that they had uh, compared to other vendors in the market their solutions was were not as integrated as the other vendors in the market for example let's say if you look at in four in four has everything integrated uh, you know just because they started as more of the integration platform but in case of sap they wanted to uh, you know grow fast they acquired a lot of different products but they struggled overall from the integration strategy perspective and that's why sap was really struggling to win a lot of deals that other vendors in the market they could easily because of that integration but after their former ceo left they have changed their corporate strategy so now what they are doing is they are focusing on two aspects number one is going to be building the marketplaces building the industry cloud and second is going to be industry uh, uh, second is going to be the integration uh, that they are working on which is similar to corporate strategy of uh, for example that we have seen in case of in four acumatica everybody is trying to build that my micro vertical functionality that everybody wants nobody wants a product that is not going to work for their business or they have to do substantial development on top of the product to be able to use the product so now sap has changed their strategy in in recent years and that's probably the reason why their growth has picked up again and this is the same story that i am trying to cover so now kankar was completely uh, you know a different business unit overall from the operational perspective you had to talk to kankar raps inside sap if you actually want to buy kankar and there was no communication between kankar uh, and the other platforms that they you had so kankar was sold as the independent product and that's how sap operated for some time whenever they acquired any of the companies they were sort of operating as the independent entity in fact when they had the co ceo model uh, both the co ceo one ceo was responsible for all of their acquired products and the other ceo was responsible for erp but that has changed so now what they are trying to do is they are trying to bring everything under one umbrella and that is going to drive the integration that's going to drive the communication and collaboration between partners as well as uh, you know internally from the sap's perspective which in my opinion is a good sign the other uh, point to note here is going to be the finance and legal functions of qualtrex were reintegrated into the qualtrex segment so again uh, this is the the integration aspect uh, rise with sap program is similar to what we have seen with the other vendors such as acumatica or netsuite has uh, you know similar program infor has uh, you know similar program so here uh, you know they are now being slightly more accountable they are trying to expedite the development trying to expedite the migration and that's the intent of rise with sap program and it seems that it's working in their favor and that's the reason why the rise with sap transactions are really growing at this point of time the other uh, observation that i have is going to be the backlog that we had discussed in the other uh, sessions so i believe the backlog is going to be the 10 year implementation model that i had mentioned uh, so typically most rollout are going to take as much so you have the commitment from the customer that the deal is going to go for 10 years but you cannot really recognize that revenue uh, so that could be the backlog fell i don't know uh, or if anybody ha- else has any other comments there what would be the backlog that as i think i read that the same way sam i read that the same way it's under contract but not realized Yep. Any other observations or comments on this screen guys? Sam on the on the backlog, what's your takeaway in terms of this integration piece? How are they handling that from a, a corporate strategy perspective? When you've got backlog and there's been a commitment, 
but that integration piece is kind of an ongoing moving target, if you will. Have, do you have any insight into that at all? So uh, backlog is more from the deal perspective that you already have the customer commitment and obviously the integration is part of that. So I know that some of the products are not nat- not going to be natively integrated. Most likely they are going to be covered either by partner or partners are actually going developing that integration. So even if you don't have out-of-the-box integration, it does not mean that you cannot really create those integration workflows for the customers. Even if you had the native integration, even then you have to do a lot more integration because sometimes the native integration might not cover all of the workflows that you might require for your scenarios or maybe you don't want to utilize that integration. You want to utilize some other tool because you might have the integration tool that might be tying all of these pieces together. So you want to host the integration logic inside that. So there are a lot of different moving pieces, I would say. I don't know if there is a clear correlation between your integration strategy from the corporate perspective versus backlog. Thanks. Okay, so here, some observations here. Now, obviously, the rise with SAP is a huge observation, but one of the things that they are doing is similar to what we saw in case of QAD. As we were noticing, QAD is a very supply chain focused platform. And when you go in that S4 HANA enterprise space, obviously SAP is really strong with their WMS capability. Their EWM is a very, very, very strong. That is used by a lot of enterprise companies to be able to run their warehouse. Uh, Their transportation management is going to be really strong as well. And then you have Ariba side of, uh, you know, uh, the functionality. Ariba is very, very strong P2P product. And then you are going to have all of these networks. So now they are combining the Ariba network the SAP Logistics Business Network, and then SAP Asset Intelligence Network. And now with all of that combined, obviously that's going to be your collaborative supply chain, digital supply chain, uh, as they call it. But obviously I don't think anybody can match the capabilities that SAP is going to have after integrating all of these platforms together uh, under one umbrella. But again, that is designed for the enterprise company. It's not designed for your SMB comes. I don't think they can afford the kind of, uh, you know, fee that Ariba is going to charge for each of the transaction, but enterprise companies definitely have uh, that need to be, uh, to solve the supply chain challenges that they are facing at this point of time. Yeah, Sam, I did have a quick comment on the, on the first column there that they're saying SAP, uh, Rise with SAP uh, provides a path to the intelligent enterprise, which is their definition as kind of the end game of when everything is 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 working and integrated, if you will, for every customer independence of starting point or complexity, that's aspirational. Um, but if someone's starting with with one of their uh, less than S4 HANA solutions, I'm not sure that's a true statement. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with that. Any other comments, guys? Okay. Okay, so let's look at their overall, the product psychology and how their products are structured. As I mentioned, the SAP is a very global financial service, really, really strong from the financial perspective. I'm not too sure if that is going to be equally strong from the operational perspective. It can do a lot of things, but again, when it is going to be competing with some of the operationally focused solutions, for example, your, uh, you know, Epicurs of the world, uh, Info of the world, they are probably going to come across as slightly richer manufacturing-centric solution, SAP may come across as a weaker uh, solution overall, when, whether you look at the their SMB solutions or whether you look at their bigger solutions such as S4 HANA. One of the challenges that SAP has always focused and the customers also struggle with 
they have the tendency that, okay, if I'm going to reach a billion dollar in my revenue, okay, I'm actually going to go to SAP, I'm going to go to Oracle, and that's it. My problems are good. Uh, that's not how to think about the ERP system. And the reason for that is if a truck can take you from point A to point B, it does not mean that you should be using truck for that purpose. You probably would need a Corolla to get uh, from point A to point B. It's going to be overkill. It's going to be over engineering. So don't think that just because SAP is there, it can solve all of your problems. The other things I am going to mention more from the ERP perspective. For example, if you look at the, the operations of a large, large, large uh, OEM businesses, uh, from the transaction perspective, they have very deep hierarchy of the transactions. Uh, the way they really perform these things operationally, that is, may not be applicable for some of the SMB business. For example, the way they are going to be doing the field service, uh, you know, it's, it could be completely different because, you know, the way you are going to be shipping your large equipment versus a very small, uh, you know, sharpener or, or mice, it's a very different uh, you know, product operationally, it's a very different workflow. So sometimes these products may be designed from that perspective. And you might be thinking that, you know what, I am going to get this big giant product and it's going to solve all my problem. It doesn't work that. So keep that in mind. The other point I am going to make is, you know, overall from their uh, product perspective, as you can see, this is the trend that we saw in case of Oracle as well. A lot of these, the products that we are seeing, they belong to S4 HANA portfolio. The only bullet point that you are going to have for the SMB market is going to be ERP for small and medium uh, mid-sized businesses. Now, if you are an SMB business and if you are trying to acquire some of these capabilities, they might not be even relevant to you. They might not even integrate with these smaller platforms. So pay attention to what you are looking at. But this is the problem that we saw uh, in case of other vendors as well. They also struggle how they can position this for their customers. The other thing that you are going to notice in, on the slide is going to be more from the industry perspective. If you look at their discrete manufacturing footprints, that is slightly lower overall because they are not going to have as deep manufacturing capabilities as some of the manufacturing solutions in the market. They are going to have very deep functionality from the financial perspective. They are going to have very deep functionality overall uh, from the, let's say, if you get success factor, that's going to be your enterprise level hire to retire program. But then if you are getting into the bits and pieces of manufacturing, sometimes uh, it could struggle and you are going to pay attention to some of the user comments. They say that, you know, if you're a service focused industries, especially in the biggest space, SAP could work really well if you are slightly more ERP centric industry, which is going to be your manufacturing distribution. Sometimes SAP does struggle and that's why you have to use the two tier product which is going to be at the subsidiary level, you are going to use a very specific product that can uh, you know, help you operationally. And then at the corporate level, you are going to be using SAP. And if you pay attention to all, most of these industries, they are very non-ERP centric industries, meaning they are using SAP only for the financial purpose. They are not running their operations. For example, banking, insurance, you know, agribusiness, they are not really using this for their operation. They are really using this for finance. The same thing goes for companies like oil, gas, and energy. Uh, you know, I don't think SAP is going to cover a lot, lot of things, uh, you know, from the operations perspective. It's really going to be that, uh, you know, financial workflow 
that is going to be relevant in this specific. If you have any comments, I can take those or move to the next slide. Okay, so now let's look at the, the roadmap. And this is the roadmap of a lot of different products. So we actually try to compare the roadmap for many different products, what their priorities are at this point of time. And if you pay attention to their product roadmap, it's not going to be similar to what you are going to see in case of your Akimatica or NetSuite, they are going to be working on some of the operational stories. But what SAP is trying to do is SAP is trying to pro provide more of the platform. And when I say platform, it's not technical platform. It's still going to be business platform, but they are going to be relying on partners to be building those operational capabilities. And that's exactly what industry cloud is. As part of industry cloud, you are going to see some of the apps that are going to be built by SAP and some of those uh, are going to be built by partners. But the challenge with the marketplace model is going to be that you are relying on a lot of different vendors. They are going to have overlapping functionality. They are going to fight with each other. You are going to have a lot of challenges with those add-ons. And then we are uh, going back to our argument about NetSuite. You know, for example, NetSuite struggles, NetSuite or Acumatica, they struggle with the similar problem with this model. So I don't know how successful that model is going to be. So as a customer, you should be paying attention to what you are getting out of the box from SAP versus what you are getting as part of the add-on from these marketplaces, from these vendors. And now, uh, if you look at the, the functionality, here you are going to get very broad functionality from the global perspective, and this is their priority for the accounts payable that they are working on India, China, uh, they are working on functionality such as Russia. Now that speaks for the volume that they are really trying to cater for those global customers. They don't really have time for the smaller customers at this point of time. They are going to be relying on their partners to be able to. And this is the thing, the same thing. We are. This is the same trend we are going to see in case of their smaller products as well. This is not just for the bigger product. You are going to notice this in case of their smaller product because even their smaller products are designed for those global companies. Any other comments, guys, on, on this slide? Okay, so basically the major takeaway from this slide is going to be that they are working on the problem. For example, let's say if you look at the reporting for waste management, I don't know how many smaller companies are probably going to be worrying about that just yet. Even if they have to do reporting, they probably might do you know manually. They might not worry about that. But again, when you are a global company, you probably require all of those features and functionality. Multiple stages on a freight order, again, that's a very global piece of functionality that is going to be required uh, by those global companies. Well, one quick comment. As I read this, they're referencing S4HANA on this slide on virtually everything. On some later slides, you're starting to see them referencing a few of their other platforms. So this seems to be roadmap around their highest level enterprise system. And it's a great point. You know, a lot of this functionality is not going to apply to a smaller or even large company that's not a Fortune 100 company. Yeah, so just to be clear, Phil, these are the screenshots. First, we have the screenshot of their S4 HANA platform, and then we have some of these screenshots, you know, from the smaller products. So that's really on us. But from their perspective, what the picture I'm trying to paint here is overall how SAPs like to think, how they are prioritizing their products, you know, what they are focusing on right now, and that should have impact on the customer, whether they are going to get what they need as of today or not. If you're a global company, your problems are going to be addressed by SAP. 
But if you're a small company, not too sure, we need to look at the product roadmap of those smaller products as well. Here, uh, if you look at the S4 HANA, uh, you know, recent release, here you are going to get support, commercial and corporate real estate processes. If you actually pay attention to uh, this specific feature set, uh, this is going to be a problem when you have a lot of different subsidiaries, you know, globally, and then you have to collaborate on the real estate processes, uh, you know, between uh, your corporate entity and the subsidiary. That's when that is going to be useful. Uh, now, that's their priority at this point of time. Obviously, that's for those, uh, you know, bigger companies. Uh, the other thing that we saw is enterprise search for trade compliance documents. Uh, you know, this we saw in case of, I believe QAD, they were working on that as well. Again, uh, you know, when you have very global supply chain, that's when you are probably going to need uh, these things. The support for split valuations in the good receipt process, enable rail freight order. Again, that's a very global piece of functionality. Enterprise search support for business objects in central purchasing, central contracting. A lot of small companies, even if they might have the central entity for purchasing, they might have their entities completely siloed, so they don't really utilize. But if you are a Fortune 100 company, you definitely, definitely need this. Uh, that's why this is the priority uh, for SAP. You look at, uh, you know, under asset management, they are doing integration of maintenance orders with the project systems. That could be slightly more mid-market functionality. But again, the overarching theme here uh, from the roadmap is going to be uh, they are trying to cater uh, those global customers. And that's obviously is going to be their priority. Do you guys notice anything else? Okay. This is the industry 4.0 priorities. Uh, you know, again, this is for the S4 HANA platform. Uh, so we uh, try to analyze, okay, for industry 4.0, what exactly are they working on? For artificial intelligence, if they have anything specific that might be relevant to smaller companies or the mid-market. So here, in case of industry 4.0 as well, the kind of capabilities that they are going to develop, that's going to be slightly more platform-centric capabilities that can be utilized by partners to be able to build the actual industry 4.0 workflows. But you are not going to see the things that industry 4.0 community is probably going to be asking in the platform. So here they are saying export of asset intelligent uh, intelligence network content into automation ML. Again, that's a very platform-centric feature. Collection of technical objects into a group, ability to create an alert from a rule. This is the asset performance management, calculation and display of failure curves, configuration of alert monitoring, configuration product orders integration and execution. Again, I am not reading the kind of feature sets that my industry 4.0 committee is going to ask when they are trying to integrate uh, these assets into the SAP platform. Uh, you know, they are going to have millions of questions and I don't know if they are going to find answers for all of those right away or if it is going to be clear how they are going to be developing those industry 4.0 workflows in the SAP platform. So Sam, what do you think is missing? The deep down operational functionality, I would say. The plant level, so if you really think from the perspective of the plant operator, if you think from the perspective of the plant manager, those people are going to have very specific piece of functionality. Okay, I am looking to monitor this piece of machine. I am looking to monitor, okay, uh, once I monitor, okay, what do I do? I need to take some sort of action. Um, you know, those are the things that you are going to see in platforms uh, that have the MES built. For example, uh, if you actually look at the Plax uh, platform or if you look at the Apicore, which has the MES built as part of their solution, uh, Info just bought an MES solution. So Info mm -hmm. is not going to say all of that, but that's exactly what you are going to see in case of Plax. Um, you are going to see in case of your Apicore because they provide the MES solution as part of the suite. Okay.
Thanks. Now, this is the same thing in case of artificial intelligence as well. Uh, you know, here, if you actually pay attention to some of these capabilities, they are going to appear uh, as more of the platform centric capabilities. If you pay attention to how Acumatica would position these artificial intelligence capabilities, they are going to position more in terms of users. Uh, they are not going to say that you have AI. They are going to say, you know what, you have AI and now that is actually going to reduce. Uh, the time that you take this physical document and you are going to scan, now we are using AI to reduce the cycle time for your either payment collection or invoice processing. That's how Acumatica NetSuite is going to position agents. But when you look at SAP, they are positioning it more of the platform that I am providing all those deep capabilities. Now you guys, you have the SAP COE. You need to figure out how to develop on top of that whatever you guys need. And again, those enterprise companies are going to require, they are going to have very specific need. So obviously they cannot be very prescriptive uh, in the way they uh, utilize some of these artificial intelligence functionality. That's why uh, SAP likes to take slightly more generic approach overall from the platform and from the development perspective. Okay, now this is the same thing with the user experience as well. Some of the points that I could note is storage of more than one petabyte in relational storage, right? That's a big Okay, if you have to store that much data, <laughs> I don't think any other platforms in the world can pull this off. So obviously, you know, SAP is designed for that larger workload. Uh, and it's very rare that customers are really paying attention to the database capabilities, you know, what the database is really designed for. Okay, so here, this is really designed for those larger organizations. So obviously, this is going to help with the user experience because if you are going to utilize Acumatica NetSuite or Infor Epicor for these kind of workloads, uh, it's going to <laughs> crash the, the system. Uh, it's not going to work. So that's where SAP is putting a lot of R&D dollars in making sure they have those enterprise-level heavy lifting capabilities from the database perspective. And that's why SAP is the only one uh, that really works in, in those enterprise accounts, as well as obviously Oracle is, is there and Microsoft. I just had a quick question for you. Have you seen anybody start to dial back what those storage limits are? I know we've seen in some of these uh, that, they, that they're talking about what some of those limits are, but I would imagine as more and more users migrate that that's going to be a consideration. Have you seen anybody start to uh, put some bounds around that outside of maybe just outlining going into an integration, uh, what the storage you know, kind of maximum limit would be? So the savvy IT leaders know what that means. Uh, you know, they know how to buy an ERP system. Now, if you are looking for a new buyer who has never bought an ERP system or they have never, uh, you know, built an enterprise-grade system, obviously they are not going to ask any of those questions. And the smaller players, they are not going to be explicit in saying, they might say, you know what, you can process any number of transactions. <laughs> They are never going to put a number. So you need to be, as a customer, you need to be asking the number. Okay, what is the system capacity that? Okay, what kind of customers are you selling to? What kind of customers have implemented this plan? If you are dialing five customers and they all have 50 employees, you have a pretty good sample there that product is probably sold uh, in the customer base where they have 50 employees. Now, if you are going to be dialing SAP customers, obviously you are going to get much larger customers. So that's your validation dial, let's say five, six, uh, 20 customers and get a sample in terms of what kind of customer size uh, are they serving? Are they serving very small or are they serving very large? Very large for small is not a good idea. Very small for large is not a good idea. 
So get the right product for the right job. Any other questions or comments, guys? Okay, now uh, this is the smaller product and uh, the major takeaway, uh, you know, that I want you guys to take. Again, this is SAP Business One platform. It competes, as we have seen, with the likes of, and by the way, this is the single tenant product, right? I mean, this is not supposed to be that multi-entity. So the way SAP product portfolio is structured, you have the single tenant product, then you have multi-tenant product, and then you have, uh, you have your uh, enterprise product. Uh, so here, SAP Business One, if you ask uh, any of the SAP partners, they are going to say that, you know what, I can support multiple entities. I can do financial consolidation. And that's exactly what you are going to hear from InforVisual. That's exactly what you are going to hear from Microsoft G. But they are very comparable products. Your, uh, you know, Makola is a very comparable product with SAP Business One. So when you are comparing this, it is really from the system capacity perspective, how the system is designed, how the database is designed, underneath and that's how you determine okay what is the product like and where the product is really sold and that is the real difference between your sap business one and sap business by design in case of oracle oracle is trying to commercialize only two products now they don't have third product uh, you know if you uh, look at their corporate strategy they have matchmate and they have your oracle erp platform those are the only two go to platform but in case of SAP, they have three products. And sometimes that could be very confusing for the customers. And that's probably the reason why one of the products is going to be outfaced uh, because it could be newer. A lot of partners may not understand what is the real difference between SAP Business One and SAP Business by Design. So yeah, that's a real struggle, not only for SAP, it is also for the customer, but the real difference between these two products is going to be the natively, uh, your by design is the multi-entity product and the SAP Business One is meant to be single entry product. The comparable for SAP Business One is going to be your Makola GP. It's going to be InforVisual. For SAP Business by Design, the comparable is going to be InforCloudSuite. Uh, the comparable is going to be Epicor. The comparable is going to be NetSuite. Acumatica is somewhere in between of these products. So that's how you should be thinking about this. Now, if you actually compare the comparable products and their product roadmaps for SAP Business One, the majority of the feature set that they have on the roadmap are going to be very globalized in nature. Now, you are not going to see that this in Makona. You are not going to see this in case of GP because they are not really targeting, uh, you know, those globalized companies. But even the smaller companies could be globalized. And that's where the SAP Business One strategy is going to be slightly more for the global accounts and the global uh, products. Now, any comments, guys, on this slide? Okay, if not, then I am actually going to move to the next slide. And here they have compared two products and they don't really have SAP Business One as part of this slide. If you So this is the slide or the Gartner quadrant that is coming for the Cloud Core Financial Management Suite for mid-size, large, and global enterprises. And you need to be very careful, careful in reading so what that means is this is for those global companies, whether you are mid-sized or you are going to be global, and the only products that are included as part of this evaluation must fall in that category. If you look at Oracle ERP is the highest because that is the highest uh, or the, the, the most globalized cloud product that we have in the market. Even SAP S4 HANA, is not there in terms of the globalized capabilities. They might have far deeper capabilities in their on-prem version. They don't have that in their SAP S4 HANA cloud. And that's why Gartner has rated this in May 2021 that SAP was actually behind uh, Oracle ERP. But the only thing they are comparing is 
global financial capabilities. They are not comparing anything else. As you can see, Workday is not even considered an ERP, but Workday is part of this list. Uh, the reason why Workday is part of this list is Workday is positioned to those service-centric companies, globally financial-centric companies, and you are going to have your financial capabilities and HR capabilities. Those are the only two things that you, those companies are going to use from the ERP perspective. They use other tools for their operations. They don't really use ERP operational processes for their operations. And that's why we have Workday here. Surprisingly enough, we have Oracle NetSuite, which is uh, you know positioned right uh, above S4 HANA, which is very, uh, you know, it might be surprising for you that, you know, NetSuite is a very small product, but NetSuite is a very strong multi-entity product. And that's why it is not comparable to Acumatica at this point of time, it has far deeper globalized capabilities to be able to implement in those global organizations. Even though from the size perspective, it's a smaller product, it's not going to have a strong database for to uh, process your petabyte transactions, <laughs> but it has got those global capabilities. Let's say if you are a small company, you, have, you are present in 50 countries, 55 countries, then you probably need something. And that's where NetSuite could work very, very well for you. The other product that you might be surprised to see here is going to be Sage Intact. And the only reason Sage Intact is positioned, because again, that's a very strong financial product. It has extremely weak operational capabilities for any product-centric organization. But if you are buying this product only from the financial perspective, Sage Intact could be an amazing product. Now, SAP Business by Design, which is very rarely rated in the top 10 ERP systems, but here, SAP Business by Design is there. And the only reason why it is there is because if you compared SAP Business by Design with your Sage Intact product, with your Workday, then there is going to be a little bit of comparison because you are simply comparing the global financial capabilities. It's going to be far deeper operationally from your Workday. It's not going to be as deep as your M4 or Apicore operationally from the manufacturing perspective. What other comments that I have here? Here they are saying SAP Business by Design is an established cloud platform with a wide range of financial functionality, good international capabilities, and strength in professional services. And professional services would fall in that non-ERP-centric uh, you know, industries because they don't really use the ERP processes for their operations, they are going to use probably something else. The only thing they might use is the project management, which is typically part of most ERP offerings. It is also suitable for deployment as a two-tier solution in the large organization that use SAP ERP on-premise, including those that require multi-ledger, multi-currency with global reach. There is limited awareness of the business by design brand, while mid-size organizations outside of SAP evaluating cloud core financial Suites are unaware of it as a viable contender in this market. And that is true as well. Gartner is right there that they should be paying attention to that if they are evaluating purely from the financial perspective. We're implying that business by design is targeted more at professional service organizations. So SAP business by design has far deeper global financial capability. It might not have as deep operational plant level capability from the manufacturing or the operations perspective. So professional services is a great fit for by design because the only thing professional services companies require is going to be your finance and HR. They don't really have as com as much complex transactional complexity as a retail company is going to have or a manufacturing company is going to have. They are going to have, let's say, 100 projects, 200 projects. Sure, you could use a project management tool and you can uh, push your deals to your, <laughs> to your finance and you are probably going to be good. But that you cannot do if you have a very 
busy warehouse, very busy manufacturing facility. So that's why SAP Business by Design is really suited for those global public um, sector organization, professional services organization. But Sam, does, hasn't historically Business by Design, then that's where they would add the add-ons, where they would add that some functionality, but you'd have to deal with your conversation of add-ons earlier? So, okay, so here's the trick. So if you look at the, the SAP Business One product, the way the product is designed, that's the NetSuite Acumatica model, where they are going to ask that you would probably require a lot of add-ons. So they are providing the core functionality and following the Spirit Airlines model, where you are going to require a lot of add-ons. SAP Business by Design is going to be slightly richer operationally as well, compared to your, again, if you compare the core product, uh, typically when customers are comparing, they are going to be comparing it with the augmented product. And when I say augmented product, meaning you are going to have extremely deep uh, or thick functionality provided by the partner or a bar, and then you don't even know whether you are looking at SAP Business One or you are looking at something else. So in the SAP Business One ecosystem, uh, you have partners developing extremely, extremely deep functionality only in the on-prem mode. SAP Business One Cloud is behind overall in terms of because those partners could not really migrate to the cloud capabilities. So SAP Business One Cloud is behind. And that's probably the reason why it is not part of this uh, this quadrant. But business by design is the cloud native product. It has far deeper functionality. It's a globalized product. It has far deeper operational capabilities. But if you compare the operational capabilities of your N4 on Apicor, you might not be able to match that. But if you compare the global capabilities, okay, let's say if you are in 24 countries, N4 might not work, Apicor might not work. Then you would need SAP business by design. But at the plant level, you might be using something. Excellent answer. Thank you. And then I wanted to just mention this very last line on top of the magic quadrant. And and it, there was a line elsewhere as far as a stronger uh, SI community on the S4 HANA product. And here on the bottom line on Gardner, they're actually saying that if you're if you're trying to get information on business by design, you often get pushed into speaking to someone who really wants to talk to you about S2 for HANA, which I found interesting and actually that relates to some experiences I've had over the years. Exactly. So, you know, from the SAP's perspective, they, they they always wanted to push customers to S4 HANA. That's why the SAP Business One or SAP Business by Design uh, does not get as much limelight overall. Because when you sign the customer on S4 HANA, then obviously you are going to get large dollars from the license perspective. There's also a misconception overall in the partner community that S4 HANA can do anything and everything. Sure, that was possible in case of your on-prem because SAP provided a lot of functionality operationally, but that is not true at all. In the cloud world, SAP can never build that kind of thick functionality, operational functionality that customers are going to require to be able to run their operations. So that's the reason why a lot of S4 HANA implementations are failing because you get this deep thick financial functionality, but then operationally you are not even sure, uh, you know, what the product does, uh, you know, for your business. The plant managers are never going to use that uh, because they just they cannot connect and relate with the product. Here, the other commentary that we have for the S4 HANA, S4 HANA Cloud offers a leading global solution for core financials. Again, pay attention to the core financials. Gartner is very explicit uh, in saying that, uh, including strong treasury, cash management capabilities, and again, the kind of capability that you are going to get from the financial perspective, nobody can match that in the market. That's all from the SAP perspective. So if you are a very strong financial organization, if you are a public organization, you have to go for SAP. And maybe you go for a uh, you know, two-tier model and utilize one of the operational product in your subsidiary and utilize SAP. And that's the standard model that we see across in our customers as well. Now, SAP S4 HANA Cloud uh, 
General Ledger uses the universal journal, including all financial structures of all transactions, which eases integration within the solution. As S4 HANA Cloud product localized for most countries to provide language, currency, and regulatory support for GAAP, FASB, and your IFRS. Again, if you look at the magic quadrant, uh, sorry, SAP S4 HANA is behind Oracle as of May 2021. I don't know if it could catch right now, but I think overall from the global perspective, in the cloud, SAP S4 HANA is probably behind right now. Now here, we only include SAP S4 HANA SaaS offerings, both public and private cloud in this analysis. That is the key distinction here, guys. So they are not comparing the on-prem. In case of on-prem, you could have far thicker functionality and sometimes neither partners know nor SAP know. When you are looking at marketing material, they are not going to be crystal clear whether they are talking about on-prem or cloud. So sometimes that could be very confusing. Once you actually get on the product or sign contract, then you will come to know that, oh my goodness, uh, this didn't exist in cloud and now what do I do? Do I go to on-prem? <laughs> That's not going to happen. So yeah, so pay attention to where the functionality exists. Don't buy the marketing hype. Here, Gartner sees many product-centric organizations being sold on-premise solutions. Given their operational ERP requirements that are not currently addressed in their cloud offerings. It is very, very, very clear. Gartner is very clear in stating that, and that is right as well, that in case of on-prem, they had much thicker functionality, but now SAP had to figure out, okay, how do I catch up with my Oracle? How do I catch up with Microsoft? So they have introduced industry cloud, but industry cloud is the same model that NetSuite has, and we have similar challenges in case of NetSuite that we are going to see in case of S4 on as well. Okay, so here we have the SAP roadmap for aerospace and defense. So Angela, you being the industry leader for the aerospace and defense, your goal is going to be to see something aerospace related. But here, if you are going to pay attention to this slide, I don't think you are going to find anything captivating or exciting here, uh, you know, as the operations manager or the procurement manager. So I looked over the slide and, and you're right, Sam, there's not a whole lot here that that was captivating or exciting. I'm gonna just blow up the slide a little bit. I think the being able, you know, as a as a project manager, I think that being able to integrate the information with a uh, a centralized um, project uh, solution that sounds good. But I think we we've seen that with some of the other solutions as well. Yeah, but I mean, when you look at this slide, your expectation is going to be, okay, where is my last mile functionality? And last mile functionality is what we have been discussing so far. Yeah. So obviously, yes. you are not going to get. And now you have the industry cloud. And industry cloud is where you are going to get that last mile from me. And as you notice, sometimes it could be very hard for customers to be able to analyze, okay, if you have the last mile functionality from here, what is owned by SAP and what is known, not owned by SAP? And SAP has similar model as NetSuite has, or Acumatica, they are going to say, you know what, I have my apps that are SAP certified. I have my apps that are going to be just partner provided. So it's up to you what you want to choose, but it's very, very, very hard to analyze the complete solution and each of the line item in the requirement and then figure out that, okay, one of the critical component of your installation is going to be the one that is going to be partner owned. And tomorrow, let's say if SAP loses that relationship or partner goes bankrupt, you are done. The solution is not going to work <laughs> uh, yes. for you. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Do you guys have any other comments on the slide? So that's the observation that I have on the slide. So that's my perception of the industry cloud. Uh, it is not any different from what Microsoft is doing from 
uh, you know, what Acumatica or NetSuite is doing. But add-ons is always uh, always going to be a challenge, especially if it is going to be partner-owned, where you are going to have overlapping piece of functionality. The challenge becomes for the person who is going to be the technical or the solution architect in figuring out, okay, which piece is going to belong where, what is going to be source of authority, and how to make it work together. That's a nightmare, guys. So if you don't know who is owning what, you are better off getting something that is owned by the OEM and get it in writing. Okay, do you really own this or is it owned by your partner? You really need to get that in writing. It sounds like the whole cloud premise of uh, SAP is one of those, how do you describe it, Sam? Not true cloud or non-true cloud? How do you describe it? Um, yeah, he's he's basically your definitions of what's true native cloud and what is not true native cloud. Does this the, the is does this look like a true native cloud? I think that's the terms that he's been using. Yeah, so native cloud. Uh, you know, obviously we have used the cloud native development in case of Acumatica, in case of NetSuite or the Sage Intech. If you look at the SAP cloud product, obviously that's a very cloud native product, and that's why it is slower. Uh, in the development, because when you are going to develop such mass, massive, uh, you know, product, it's going to take forever for you to build. And number two, it's going to require a lot of money. Nobody can pull that off. And that's why companies are acquiring a lot of different companies to be able to figure out, okay, how I can win in the cloud. So the companies that are cloud native, they, and, uh, they were early in the game. They are slightly richer overall in their operational functionality. They are not going to be as richer in the global functionality. So here, if you look at the core SAP cloud solution, that's going to be cloud native, but that core solution is not going to work operationally because it does not have all those bells and whistles that you used to get in the on-prem model with SAP. You are either going to be relying on a lot of add-ons that are going to be part of your industry cloud. And as, as part of industry cloud, you are not sure whether you have uh, SAP owns this or the partner owns this. The problem that you are going to get is going to be in those add-ons that are going to be critical for your installation and you know that are going to be partner owned that's where most implementations are going to struggle so you know yes it is cloud native no questions about that even though sap never talks about you know whether they are cloud native because sometimes they have to sell on prem as well <laughs> because they don't have that operational functionality so they are not going to be pitching cloud native because what if i need to change my deal and i need to sell an on prem product <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Okay, this is the SAP roadmap for high tech. Again, I did not find anything exciting here. When I look at the high tech of roadmap of uh, Infor Apicore, then I am going to be looking at a lot of different operational functionality. So here they are saying cloud enablement of product lifecycle costing. Again, that's a very global functionality overall from the from the costing perspective. And here we are talking about the the product lifecycle costing, which is going to be because high tech companies are going to have very collaborative supply chains. They are going to have very global supply chains. So you need to look at the product lifecycle. Uh, you know, that's going to be slightly more uh, global. And they are working on the costing aspect of it. And then uh, obviously they have a little bit of IBP functionality, which is going to be sales inventory operations linked to demand driven uh, material requirements planning, strong back office services capabilities enabled by SAP S4 HANA, product lifecycle costing and sourcing simulation and optimization, resource and supply planning enablement for order based planning. Then we have shop floor execution enhancements in the cloud. Then we have the industrial manufacturing. Even in case of industrial manufacturing, we have the 3D visual enterprise and variant con configuration functionality. We have machine learning to improve lead property assessment and identify customers at risk, uh, improved demand forecast, uh, collaboration with partners. You have embedded machine learning and conversational 
AI within service and support processes. Uh, we have machine learning for intelligent product configuration and context-driven services, enhanced forecasting, inventory planning. Again, when I look at this piece of functionality, it's uh, very platform-centric that I am going to be providing a lot of uh, you know, technical capabilities, even though these are functional capabilities, but they are slightly uh, you know, back office in nature. And then the partners are going to be doing the real functional requirements for the last mile functionality that your high tech is going to require. Uh, the same thing goes for the agribusiness. If you are actually going to pay attention here, agribusiness is a very unique beast. Overall, when you look at that, uh, you know, the farm to four functionality, here you are looking at maintain price and mass price contracts. That's a very financial, global financial functionality uh, that you are going to require. SAP farm management by Vistax. So pay attention to the product roadmap guide. They have used a partner there. You know, it's Vistax, uh, as you can clearly see. So even though they are developing that, but SAP does not own this code. So you need to pay attention that you are buying something that is not owned by them. And obviously, there is going to be a clear risk for your implementation, especially if it is going to be as critical piece as your SAP farm management. Farm management is going to be your bread and butter. It's not something like, you know, some sort of analysis that you are doing <laughs> in the background. If you have add-on for that, that's a, that's a different story. But when you are going to require an add-on for your core transaction, core operational inventory-centric transaction, that's where uh, the real risk is going in any implementation. Here, they are saying increase automation by leveraging new technologies like machine learning. In agricultural ticketing, again, they are not talking about the ticketing itself. They are talking about improving the ticketing because of machine learning. So customers would need the ticketing first. Obviously, they are going to rely on partners to be able to build the ticketing, and they are probably going to have machine learning to be able to do that. This is the similar uh, you know, theme across the slides. SAP is a huge company, huge, huge product. And I think that was uh, totally obvious throughout the presentation there today, Sam. Okay. Yeah, I, th I think one of the things that kind of stood out to me, it'll be interesting to see as time goes on, because I think there'll be a very interesting cross-section from a corporate strategy standpoint. You know, we've seen uh, with SAP and others the push towards, uh, you know, cloud native and going that direction. But from a development standpoint, you know, again, highlighting some of the inability from, uh, you know, from a, a technical and development standpoint to have the same functionality. So to me, it'll be an interesting cross-section to continue to watch uh, because I think at some point, if development can't catch up to that, we're going to see a, a much larger pause in the push towards going to cloud. Because if you can't, uh, from an operational functionality standpoint, if you can't support uh, the clients that are interested in your product, obviously that's going to be a, a pretty big, uh, pretty big hurdle to cross. I, I was just, I was just going to say, like a lot of these, the importance of truly understanding ultimately what the SI is providing you and where those where those add-ons might be and where and and where they're really going to have to do the work especially in these large enterprise systems the the cost of implementation you mentioned 10 years of, of ownership but there's multiple years you know of implementation to get to go live it's a very expensive project and it, i think the frustration that i tend to hear is getting clarity and transparency of what people are buying without having to make it like pulling teeth and I mean, the functionality of SAP is going to be over the top. 
for so many companies of what they actually need. So if they're going to buy the top, the top platform, you know, what are they getting? And then if, like you said, if they're not getting the depth of functionality and what they really do need, but they're getting all this functionality breadth that they maybe don't need, it's hard to get that clear for the customer going in. And it seems awfully cloudy of what you're getting with the cloud version versus the on-prem version. Some of the comments that you're making, Sam, is that uh, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of the customers that have migrated to the cloud have been surprised. So. Yeah, I was just going to say all of the cloud all of the cloud native products we've seen have had a similar yeah. difficulty of saying, you know, to Sam's point, which we've heard him make, you know, multiple times on these Tuesdays, is that. It takes time if you've got a mature on-prem product or even a hybrid product, and now you're going just native cloud, it's going to take a lot of time and effort to get the full functionality into that new product. And no one's telling you that. No one's really making that clear unless you ask a lot of really good questions. I mean, I, I would add to that, Phil, kind of on top of that situation, you've got that integration component that is continuing to change. So as acquisitions are happening, as you know, some of that development continues to happen on the back end of things. So again, you know, I feel like it's a really a moving target. So back to what we continue to say on a lot of these sessions, you know, ask really good questions, keep asking questions until you have clarity. Angela, the versions you've worked with, were they on-prem or in the cloud? I believe they would be they would be on-prem. All of the uh, organizations that I've worked with in the past that have had SAP were a little bit too risk averse and a little bit too mature, I'll just say, to uh, to have implemented uh, cloud versions. One thing that we we haven't touched on is is training, and I would say in SAP's um, uh, favor, they do have an excellent um, academy, so that the SAP Academy is uh, available online um, to everyone. And you can also ha um, have instructor-led training, which, of course, comes with a fee, but you can be certified as an SAP uh, user, just like you could get, you know, Microsoft certifications or Cisco certifications. You can get SAP certification. If yeah, just to be clear, everybody does that training, in my opinion. I think everybody is going to have similar capabilities, so I don't think that is the differentiator as such for SAP. But I, is I, is is that yeah. is that training with some other supplier or vendor, rather, as marketable? Yeah, I think what Angela's mentioning is that the, the training from this uh, academy, SAP Academy, is pretty darn good. Where a lot of companies provide web-based classes, they're not always substantive enough to actually implement the software. Is that fair, Angela? Mm -hmm. let, let me ask, I got one more question for you, Angela. You've been using SAP for 10 years. Yeah. How long did it take when you first learned it before you were relatively <laughs> fluent? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tra training is, it's, it's all about the training. And unfortunately, at the companies that I worked at that used SAP, there was no training. And Ooh. it was not the fault of SAP. It was the, it was the fault of my employer. So I was literally. So given, how did you learn it then? I was, years. Years of years. Years of practice. <laughs> and I was, I was given a, a cheat sheet from someone else who was you know an sap user and said and they're like here's here are the codes you need to know 
<laughs> but but I no, go and play with it. Yeah. So I'll echo I'll echo what Sam said. I mean, on these you know, again, we stay in the enterprise space with the big three, if you will. That's if you if you've got a le- old legacy system and then you're upgrading to one of these enterprise systems. Yeah, yeah, you can get a nice five hour demo and watch someone who really knows how to get around go at it. But it'll be years after that before you actually really have your people feel comfortable. And everybody has a technique for that of how they how they do user training and how they do user approval testing to get the actual people that are going to be touching the system so that they're competent at it. Microsoft is very robust on that. You you it's literally your people have to pass a test for you to move forward and get to go live. If you're if your users aren't capable of doing basic stuff in front of the SI and proven to Microsoft, they'll literally delay the delay your go live. I wanted to address one comment that was made in between. I want to make sure that we are touching that. Uh, so it was related to the on-prem uh, comment that on-prem you are going to have a lot of functionality uh, and cloud, uh, you know, when you are going for SAP, you might not have as richer functionality. Some of the enterprises are going to argue that, you know what, I don't want to go for cloud anyways, uh, because the cloud for me is going to be expensive. I have this massive investment in the IT infrastructure. I have my IT that can manage my own cloud in-house. So I am anyways going from on-prem. So why not take the SAP on-prem product which is going to be richest in the market overall from the capability perspective. Just one caveat to think there, okay? When you look at the code base, your on-prem code base is going to be very different from your cloud native code base. So even if you are running this in your own cloud, you still need the cloud native development and feeling that should not be replaced by your on-prem code base, obviously, when you go to SAP, they are going to sell you the on-prem product, but that's a very legacy product. So make sure you pay attention there as a customer, because that's a critical decision that you have to make when you are choosing on-prem versus cloud, even if you don't want to go for public cloud as, as a business. Well, and Sam, if I understand it correctly as well, SAP HANA has an advantage in speed because of the way the database has been structured, the way they built it. And as a particular advantage outside of being for international companies, companies that are doing very heavy transaction quantity and very and, and heavy depth of transactions where it'll do a bit better of speed in the cloud. And I've noticed that with the other enterprise products, too, or the pure proud cloud products, you can be surprised that the system bogs down on you. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, one more point there, even in the smaller products such as SAP Business One, you are actually getting the HANA appliance underneath, yep. which is an amazing, amazing yeah. Uh, so, you I mean, know, that's an advantage. Yeah, that's an advantage. That, that HANA database is is really looks slick. Yep, it's it's massive. It's one of the best appliances in the market. This was excellent, Sam. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sam. Thank You're you. amazing. Thank, yep. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing too. On that note, I really want to thank everybody for their time and insight. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully, you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Andy Radico head over to esoft.com. It's essoft.com. If you want to learn more about Phil Kerper, head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's R-I-N-G-L-I-N-G-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Angela Thurman, head over to thurmanco.com. It's T-H-U-R-M-A-N-C-O.com. 
Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Tom Rodden, who discusses the nuances of medical device manufacturing and how it differs from generalized manufacturing. Also, the interview with Marsha Williams, who discusses various components of MRP planning and where MRP fits in the process. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.